Thank you, choir. Hey, while you're being seated, go ahead and turn with me, if you would, in your Bible to Acts chapter 1 and uh, hold your spot there. Acts chapter 1, the very first chapter in the book of Acts. We're going to get there here shortly, uh, beginning uh, not a series, but just this message. It's kind of a standalone message. We finished a series last Sunday called Road Trip. And uh, those messages are on our website, most of those, and you can check those out if you missed any and want to catch up. But today, just looking at something that I felt like the Lord directed me to, and uh, it was, it's, it's kind of a thought-provoking <laughs> type message that, that is aimed primarily at those who are followers of Jesus and to us collectively as a church as well. And, and so Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to start here in just a few moments, looking at a, uh, at a message titled, Both and... So there are things that are in life, you're familiar with this already, things that are in life that are not really designed to be uh, experienced separately one from the other. Now, they can be, but whenever you separate certain things one from another and you deal with them kind of in isolation, they lose that little bit of punch, right? They, they kind of lose a little bit of effectiveness. They're designed to be not either or, but both and. I'll give you an example. I got a few of them up here. Here's one example is uh, peanut butter. And jelly, right? When you eat a sandwich, hopefully nobody says, you know what, I'm going to go to the kitchen, I'm going to make myself a jelly sandwich. I hope that's not what you do. I'm sure it would be okay if you did. I mean, you're not going to die from it, but it's just going to miss something. I mean, the same with peanut butter, right? More of you probably do peanut butter sandwiches, but man, it's peanut butter and jelly. You mix those two things together, that both and, I'm telling you, it's a a good, good thing. Here's another example of a both and, not an either or, Romeo and Juliet, right? Some of you remember maybe in high school or college and uh, you would have that literature class and you'd go through this. You didn't study just Romeo. You didn't study just Juliet. You studied Romeo and Juliet. They were not either or, it was both and here's another example. Anybody know what this is specifically? Let's go bring the next one up. Anybody, can you recognize that? Some of you in the back, maybe a little hard to see. That's a little bit of um, black-eyed peas and rice right there, baby. That's what that is. Not separately, not independently one of another with the rice in its little compartment and the black-eyed peas in its little compartment, but both and together. When I went off to seminary in the Raleigh area, I... Um, you know, I'm born and raised here, Savannah, and I went up there to North Carolina, and uh, I guess north is in the word for a reason, I don't know, because I went through the cafeteria line, and one of the cafeteria workers, they had black-eyed peas and they had rice, and I said, if you would, just drain out the juice, because if you get too much juice, it's just gross, you can't get all that mixed up in there. Uh, it drain out the juice, it's really good, put those black-eyed peas on top of the rice, and she looked at me like I had four heads, right? She, like, never, it's like, you guys never experienced this before? It's a both-and that is just... Ah, oh, it's so good. It's just, I recommend it highly. And if you make some today for lunch, just call me and my family. We'll be right over. So here's another, all right, another both and Calvin and Hobbes. Any Calvin and Hobbes fans from back in the day? Yes. One of my two favorite cartoons along with Farside. Uh, I would say Calvin and Hobbes may be the all-time favorite. Uh, It's called Calvin and Hobbes for a reason. There's not a separate book out there about just Calvin or just Hobbes. It's not either or. It's both and. And then here's one for those of you from the 60s. (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah. There's some groans out there, I think. The Sonny and Cher Show. No, this is not Halloween. This is uh, an actual show. People that actually really existed, that really literally looked like that, right, from the, from the 60s. Sonny and Cher. It wasn't just one or the other. I know there ended up being some things going on later on, but it was the Sonny and Cher Show, right? It was the Sonny and Cher Show. It was both of these guys. And for those of you that are out there that are under a certain age and you're thinking, I don't even know who these people are, and I'm kind of glad, right, then this next one is for you, Mario and Louise. Okay, so, so both and. There are things in life that we treat as either or that really should be both and, not designed to be separated. 
one from the other. And when you think about it, even in our own walks with God as Christians, as followers of Jesus, and even beyond that, for local churches just like this one, there are times when we separate things and we treat them as either or options when really a decision shouldn't be made either or. It's designed to be together both and. And if you're wondering what I'm thinking, let me just give you a few examples. I'm going to give you a couple. And the third example we're going to really focus on specifically this morning and this message titled Both And. Let me give you an example, grace and truth. Right, there are a lot of Christians that really easily come down on the side of grace, which is not a bad thing. Grace is all throughout the Bible, and we would not be here if it wasn't for the grace of God. That We need grace, but there are believers at times that are all about grace, but there's very little emphasis necessarily on truth, which can be detrimental if we exclude truth just for the uh, embracing of grace. And then there are those on the other side of the spectrum that are all about truth, right? Just truth, truth, truth. But there's very little grace that's ever demonstrated, which can also equally be as damaging. It's not an either or, it's a both and. Listen, there, there's a, a specific uh, theologian, his name's Warren Wearsby. Some of you maybe studied through some of his stuff before. Listen to this quote about grace and truth. He says, grace without truth would be deceitful. Right, just kind of chew on that for a second. Grace without truth would be deceitful. It would leave something out that needs to be recognized. And truth without grace would be condemning. Some of you have experienced that. You, you've known someone who was all about truth with no grace whatsoever to be demonstrated. Truth without grace would be condemning. Another person said truth without grace is mean. <laughs> grace without truth is meaningless. That's a, that's a pretty deep thought there, right? What are they saying? They're saying it's grace and truth are not either or options. They are both and. They're supposed to be demonstrated together. One of the best examples of this, absolutely the best example of this we see in the Bible, is the person of Jesus himself. Jesus, God who came, walked this earth in sinless perfection, 33 years of public ministry. And throughout that 33 years of public ministry, he demonstrated that perfect balance of grace and truth together. Look at what it says here. John chapter 1, verse 14. You're holding your spot still in Acts, but look at this in John 1, verse 14. John is talking about Jesus. If you read the first 13 verses, it's very clear that the word is Jesus. That's who it's talking about. So it says, and the word, or Jesus, became flesh, dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, what? Full of grace, and truth. Grace and truth were both ands for Jesus. He demonstrated those. Oftentimes, it was a little heavier uh, grace to the humble, such as the woman caught in adultery, who in humility realized what she had done. And then at other times, it was a little more heavy towards the truth end, such as to those who were prideful, such as the Pharisees. But he was the perfect embodiment, and he always demonstrated perfectly that both and balance between grace and truth. Nowhere was it more readily demonstrated than on the cross. Because when Jesus hung on the cross, listen, if, if you've ever wondered, what does it take for me to have a relationship with God? Listen to this next statement because it's, it's pivotal in how to have a relationship with God. When Jesus died on the cross, it was God, the Son, dying in our place. And when he hung there on that cross, it was him demonstrating the value of truth right? Because sin mandated death in order to be fully paid for. And it mandated a perfect substitute 
and a perfect sacrifice. So when Jesus died on the cross, it was him fulfilling the truth of God, right? He was dying to pay for sin in the only way possible. Sin couldn't be swept under the rug. That would render God unjust. Sin couldn't be just acted like the boogeyman under the bed who doesn't exist. We couldn't just act like, oh, sin's not really out there. No, it had to be dealt with. Jesus fulfilled truth when he died on the cross. And at the same time, no demonstration than that symbol right there, right? When Jesus in real time died a real death, arms stretched out, demonstrating what grace looks like when he died, not just for the concept of sin, he died specifically for your sin and my sin, right? It was this balance, not either or. Jesus didn't wake up and say, I think I'm just going to show truth today, or I'm just going to show grace. No, it was a perfect balance of grace and truth, not either or, but both and. You look at another concept as well as an example. Uh, this one over in the book of James chapter 2, and it's the relationship between faith and works. Again, not either or, but both and. There, there's some who talk about, you know what, we've got to have faith, we've got to have faith, we've got to have faith. And, and there's really no emphasis on actually working out that faith, demonstrating it through the works. And then there are those on the other end of the spectrum who are all about works, right? Doing good, doing good, doing good. But there's no necessary, you know, focus on the deepening of their faith. James dictates kind of this, this relationship. And part of the context here is a discussion about salvation, right? There would be some who would feel like we're saved by our works, which is not the case. Our good works never make us right with God. James is talking about the relationship between faith and works. Look at what he says, James 2 verse 18. He says, but someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. And this is kind of James's way of saying, you're treating this like an either or, right? You've got faith, you've got works. Look at what James goes on to say. He says, show me your faith without the works, which in a sense is impossible. He says, and I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, faith and works work together in the mind and in the heart of James, the, the half-brother of Jesus who wrote this book of the Bible. It's kind of a big deal. So when he wrote this, he is saying, if you have genuine faith in Jesus, that faith is going to be evidenced outwardly by the good works of your life. It's going to be put on display. And no, we're not saved by our works, but at the same time, we don't just diminish works. We don't just kick uh, good works to the curb because, after all, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. There's a place for them both to exist together. It's not either or, it's both and. And then there's a third example. This is where I want to camp out this morning, is on yet a third example of things that often, sadly, the lives of Christians and churches exist independently of one another, but they should be in unison, both and, and that's growth and mission. Growth and mission. So when the kids were a little bit younger, I'd play a game. Every now and then I roll it out, but they don't like it as much. Uh, this little game that I'd make up, because I love making up games. Usually we're riding in the car or just sitting, sitting around with not much going on. I'd make this game, uh, make up this game, kind of, we call it either or. And, and I would say, hey, so if you could only have one for the rest of your life, would it be breakfast or would it be supper? Right? By the way, how many of you choose breakfast? Just curious. Okay. How many of you choose supper? Okay. Supper wins, I guess. Uh, but breakfast is coming on strong, so it was close. And I make up these things, you know, bacon or ham. If you could only have one for the rest of your life, which would it be? If you could only watch football or only watch basketball, which would it be the rest of your life? Just kind of this either or. When it comes to growth and mission, and what I mean by this is the idea that we as Christians are to grow deeper in our relationship with God 
closer in our relationship with God. When it comes to that personal growth maturity as a Christian, and when it comes also to living life on mission, I'm not talking about writing a check to support missions, though that would be an example, but living life with this mission that kind of fuels us from behind. There's this mission of God that fuels us, that drives us along, and it's even out ahead of us. It's kind of drawing us further and further, right? When it comes to growth and mission, here's what often happens in the lives of so many Christians. They become heavier one towards the other, and it can be very, very dangerous. Here's what I mean. And it's very subtle because growth and mission are both incredibly important in our walks with God. Let's just say there's a person who says, you know what, I'm all about Bible study. I love Bible study. I eat, drink, and sleep Bible study. I'm always looking for the next Bible study. In fact, I'm in four of them right now, and I'm about to start another one with a friend of mine down the street. It's Bible study, Bible study, Bible study. Well, that's great. Right? We need to hunger and thirst for the word. We, we, need to be, you know, we, we need to long for the pure milk of the word. Nothing wrong with that at all. However, if we come to the point to where we're so heavily leaning towards our own personal growth, Bible study, Bible study, Bible study, and, and we're not even thinking about the neighbor across the street who doesn't even know Jesus to begin with because we're always locked up in a Bible study on the inside, but we're never out there, salt and light, rubbing shoulders, having an influence, then that can be detrimental, right? That's an unhealthy balance. There has to be both and, not either or. And then when you think about it, there are those who are all about mission, man. I'm just on mission. I want to tell everybody about Jesus, and I'm going to witness to anything that's not nailed down. And if it's moving and breathing, I'm going to tell it about Christ, and it's just, I'm, I'm always going on mission trips, and I'm always doing this, I'm always doing that. That is awesome. That is great. But if there's no desire or drive to actually learn more of the Word and to go deeper in personal growth, then the mission might end up being misaligned somewhere down the road. It can actually do more harm than good. There has to be this balance, not an either-or, but a both-and, that we're equally as hungry to grow in our faith and in our maturity and the knowledge of God's Word and equally desiring to be living life on mission, as a missionary, right? Right here, ultimately where God has put us. For churches, it plays out this way. Sometimes there are churches, there are a lot of them obviously in existence. There are churches that are so heavy on providing programs and ministries and Bible studies and small groups, right, that are all good and all necessary and all needful but so busy in helping people on the inside to grow that there's no time or energy or effort or really desire to do something, things that are necessary on the outside to reach people with the message of the gospel. And what you have is you have churches as well that sometimes lean heavily one direction or towards the other. And again, even if the lean goes all towards mission with no growth, that mission may be misaligned without anybody even realizing it because of little time spent in the Word. I think you know where I'm going with this, right? It's for all of us as believers. It's for us as a church to have that balance between our growth and mission. So let's see some examples here in Scripture. What we begin to see throughout the pages of the Bible, especially the New Testament where I'll be today, is to are these numerous examples. I'm just going to pull out a handful of them of what the what the mindset was of the early church and what the mindset was of the early believers who wrote in scripture. I'm not going to pull out every example, but I want it I just want to show I just want to see an overwhelming case that's made for the balance in our lives as people and the balance in our lives as a church 
to be all about growing and all about reaching. So let me give a little timeline. Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to start here. And the timeline, I think, is going to be helpful. So when you get to the book of Acts, what has happened is Jesus has already been crucified. He's already been resurrected. Right? So that has already happened. Jesus died. He died for the sins of the world. He rose again from the dead three days later. The next event kind of on that timeline was a period of 40 days that passed before Jesus would ascend back to the Father. We're going to read about that here in just a second. So from the resurrection to Jesus' ascension, and we're still waiting for his return, 40 days in between. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 15 that he was witnessed, he was, he was seen by over 500 witnesses, right? So this, this was popular knowledge in Jerusalem that Jesus had risen from the dead. People would have seen him, word would have spread, more than 500 people, Paul says, would have seen him literally having risen from the dead. And so 40 days after the resurrection, he's going to ascend to the Father. He's going to return back to heaven. Then after that, you're going to see the church begin to gather, and something crucial is going to happen. So let's jump in here in the book of Acts, chapter 1. This is where I had you turn. This is where we're going to kind of get started with you reading along with me. Acts chapter 1. Verse 11. So Jesus is ascending up into heaven. There are a couple of angels that are there as well. Verse 11, it says, They, the angels, also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. So they're still right there in the Jerusalem vicinity. And when they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. Notice uh, Judas Iscariot is not here. He has betrayed Jesus and ultimately hung himself. Verse 14, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. At this time, verse 15, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren. This is what I want you to see in these parentheses here. A gathering of about 120 persons was there together. So here's the picture. This is the context that I want us to see. Jesus has died three days later. He resurrected. Forty days after the resurrection, just a matter of weeks, he ascends back to the Father. And immediately following that, you have his early followers in the Jerusalem area who are assembled together. How many is it? It says around 120. Interesting information, helpful information. So if we have this mindset, right, maybe those of you that were born or raised in church, you kind of have this mindset that that there's just a ton of believers. I mean, after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, you know, there's just believers everywhere. That doesn't really seem to be the case. Now, there would be believers very, very quickly that are going to (laughs) grow. We're going to get to that. But right here in Jerusalem, and there may have been some in other areas. The woman at the well, she went back right to Samaria, and she spread the word. And the uh, Ethiopian, or, or, or elsewhere in the early church, you're going to see the gospel begin to spread. But here, we see 120 believers that are gathered together in this upper room. Not a lot of people that we're starting with here. Jesus is gone, he's ascended to the Father, and there is a, we can say, a small gathering of people. So the church is gathering. They're not even called the church yet. These early believers, they're praying. The Holy Spirit comes. And at a place called Pentecost, which is 50 days 
after Jesus's crucifixion. Right, he was crucified right around Passover, Scripture tells us. Now it's Pentecost. It is roughly 50 days later, not a lengthy period of time. About a week and a half after Jesus has ascended back to the Father, there are a variety of groups assembled in Jerusalem, thousands of people that are there for Pentecost. Fifteen different people groups are named right here in Acts. But look at what it says. Let's pick up in verse 22 in chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. We're going somewhere with this. So a week and a half earlier, he had 120 followers of Jesus huddled up in an upper room in Jerusalem. Chapter 2, verse 22, Peter, the same one who in fear betrayed Jesus, is now boldly sharing the gospel. Verse 22, chapter 2. Men of Israel, listen to these words, Peter says. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. There's a certain boldness that Peter didn't have just a few weeks before. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it is impossible for him to be held in its power. Look down to verse 37, same chapter. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? What do we do in response to this? You just shared the truth about Jesus. What do we do next? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That doesn't mean that baptism saves us. It's better understood to be baptized because of the forgiveness of your sins, right? Trust Jesus. Repent and trust Christ. Verse 39, For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Look what happens next. Verse 41, so then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls, all right? So a week and a half earlier, you had 120 followers of Jesus huddled up in an upper room praying with no Jesus. He's already gone to the Father. The Holy Spirit is sent. A week and a half later, Peter preaches the truth of the gospel. 3,000 people place their faith in Christ. Immediately on that spot, in that moment, the church is born. If anybody ever wondered, where did the church start? How did the church get its beginning? Bingo, there it is right there. Acts chapter 2. 3,000 people are now part of the family of God. Here, here's what we need to think about for just a second. What they did next was going to be crucial, right? What they did next was going to be, uh, is going to be key on whether or not this thing was going to continue and grow. Because if they were all about their growth, and if they had said, hey, let's huddle up, Peter jumps up, grabs a mic, <laughs> right, as though that existed, and he says, hey, everybody, let's get together. Let's decide what we're going to do next. we got 3,000 people. They've already been baptized, so now what? what's the next step? And imagine somebody says, I think we need to start doing a bunch of Bible studies, and we need to grow in our knowledge of the Scriptures, and we just need to pack it in and pray for each other and make sure that we all help one another to grow. And if that was the decision, and if that had been all they did, there is a strong likelihood that neither you nor I would be here today as followers of Jesus if it all became about just their personal growth. 
But let's just say Peter says, hey, what next? And let's just say somebody else jumps up in the crowd and says, man, this is awesome. I just gave my life to Jesus, and I've never felt such peace and joy. we got to tell everybody about it, so let's just quit huddling together. This is a waste of time. We're already all safe. Let's just hit the streets, and let's all scatter, and let's just go over this known world, sharing the message of Jesus everywhere we go. And let's say they chose to do that to the neglect of their own personal growth in the Word. The gospel that did make it to you 2,000 years later might not have been the right one. It might have been a tainted one, a different one, which already existed <laughs> soon after this event took place. So which direction would they go? This is crucial. Where's the church going to head? They've got a church now. I mean, it's the first time in history there's ever been an actual church, right? A gathering of these believers that are followers of Jesus. Well, let's see where they'd go. Look down in chapter 2, verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. All right, so there's this picture, all right? So one component of their decision. Where'd they go? They went, they went deeper. They pressed into growth, personal growth in Christ. They had those that were teaching the word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to coming together in fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which could mean reference to the Lord's Supper or a worship experience, right, where, where Christ's sacrifice is, is focused upon. Or, or, or maybe breaking bread just simply means they took their meals together and they devoted themselves to prayer. So there was this decision, we're going we're gonna to go deep. Will it be either or or both and? Well, let's look down a little bit further. Look down in verse 44. And all those who had believed were together. They had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions, and they were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. So there's this picture also of looking outward. Not just inward, I need to grow, but also outward, I need to live on mission. So that's the way Jesus demonstrated this, looking outward constantly looking outward, never to the neglect of the truth, but always looking outward. Jesus didn't have to grow. He didn't have a need for personal growth. He's God. But he was always looking outward, outward to the woman caught in adultery, outward to the woman by the well from some in Samaria, outward to those who were like lost and undone like sheep without a shepherd. He was constantly looking outward. In the early church at this moment of crucial decision, they made the same choice not to treat growth and mission as either or, but as both. And look at what it says down a little bit further, verse 46. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, right? They're engaged in worship, breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness, sincerity of heart. There's this picture of growing. They're growing, uh, uh, immersed in the word. They're growing together, right? It's not in isolation, one from another. Verse 47, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. How was he adding to their number? How did they have favor with all the people? Because it wasn't just about locking the doors tight and growing deeper. It was about leaving the room and going out to where the people were who needed a Savior too. It was growth 
and it was living on mission, this mission that drove these early believers from behind. It fueled their lives. It wasn't just about themselves. It was about reaching out, reaching out, reaching out. You're going to find many of these people, and Paul begins to plant churches later in the New Testament. We'll get to him in a second, but you're going to find different regions of the world where there were believers that were present, many of whom you would assume were, uh, uh, th- these people were exposed to the gospel, because, follow me on this, because there was somebody in Jerusalem at Pentecost in Acts 2 when, preach, when Peter preached that were among the 3,000 that got saved, and then they went back to their own homes. Remember, 15 different people groups are named there in Acts chapter 2. They went back to their own homeland, went back to their own people, and they went back different than when they left. They went back with a relationship with Jesus, whereas before they were just good God-fearing Jews. Now they go back as followers of Jesus. And they live life not just to grow deeper, but they live life on mission. And others were exposed to the gospel as well. And the gospel just began to explode. You look at James in James chapter 1, verse 27. James, the half-brother of Jesus, who wrote this book of the Bible, Listen to what he says in James chapter 1, verse 27. He's describing ministry. He says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and our Father is this. This is pure and undefiled religion from the half-brother of Jesus' perspective. He says, one, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. There's that mission, right? Reaching out, pushing out, going after those who have the needs. And to keep oneself unstained by the world, growing deeper so that our lives are characterized not by sin, but by our relationship with a perfect Savior. It's not either or. Oh, James, what do you think is most important in the Christian life? What should be the focus of the local church, right? James, what what do you think? Should I be focused more on growing deeper in my relationship with God? That seems important. Or should I be focused on living my life on mission because that seems important too? And he would say, why are you having to decide? It's both and. You help those. You show Jesus to those in need. He names two different people groups there specifically, orphans and widows. And you keep yourself unstained from the word from the world. You grow deep. Paul is writing a letter to Timothy. It's his second letter to Timothy that we have recorded in Scripture, possibly the last recorded letter that we have that Paul would ever write. And he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, he says, All scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And the understanding there is so know it and grow deep in it. All right? God's truth, you want to grow. You want to grow in it. Spend time there. But then he says in verse 17, so that, here's the reason, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So we want to know the truth so that we're equipped to carry out good works. Well, what's the role of good works? Well, Jesus would have a little something to say about that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Follow me on this. You are the light of the world, he says to his followers. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men, Jesus says, verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. Remember what Paul said to Timothy, know the word. It's inspired, it's given to you to equip you so that you may do good works. What does Jesus say about the good works? So that people will see them and may glorify your Father who is in heaven. Paul would say, Jesus would say, it's not either or, it's both 
and we know the truth, we know the word, we dive in deep, we grow deeply, we never get content with where we are on, on the, on the um, uh, spectrum of our Christian life. We always want to mature more and more and more to be more and more and more like Jesus, and, and, and we're pressing towards that. But the reason we grow deeply is not just for our own benefit to feel good about who we are in Jesus, it's so that we are equipped to go out with the message of the gospel so that others can know him too. It's growth and it's mission. Not either or, but both and. Acts chapter 13, I think, to me is one of the most amazing passages of Scripture that demonstrates this. Acts chapter 13, this, I love the book of Acts. One of my favorite books that I've ever preached through was here in this church years ago when I preached through Acts. Um, Acts chapter 13 is a pivotal chapter. It, it's where the gospel begins to go out in mission through the ministry of Paul. This is his first missionary journey, Acts 13. The setting here is a church called Antioch. It's where Christians were first called Christians, was in the city of Antioch. Look at what it says here in Acts 13, verse 1. It says, Now there were at Antioch in the church, there's a church here, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers. It names a few of them. Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. That reference to Saul is Paul. So the church there in Antioch has people who are teaching the word. Why? Because personal growth is important. So they teach the truth. They teach the word. But look at what it says next in verse 2 and verse 3. It says, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit, right, God said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, this is Barnabas and Paul, for the work to which I have called them. Now, they had been called to teach the church, right, to help the church to grow deep in the knowledge of God's word. That had been their calling. That, that's what Paul had been doing there, and Barnabas too, in the church in Antioch. Now the Holy Spirit says, set them apart for me, right? God has a mission. He has a purpose for them to the work that I've called them, verse 3. And then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Don't miss this. This, these are two of the heroes of the faith, two of the biggest figures you're going to read of in the book of Acts. Paul, outside of Jesus and maybe Peter, the biggest figure you're going to read of in the entire New Testament. And this church in Antioch had both of these guys, Paul and Barnabas there. They were Bible teachers. It's kind of like, you know, they could announce on a Sunday morning, hey, we're going to do a little Bible study. Uh, one of our guys, you know, he, he's going to lead a Bible study. Oh, yeah, who's doing it? Paul. And they're like, I'm in. <laughs> you know, I mean, you had the best right there in that church. And had the church only been focused on personal growth to the neglect of mission, right, living life on mission, they would have never let Paul and Barnabas out of their sight. But because this church understood the big picture, that it was not just about their own personal growth, it was also about mission, reaching out, reaching people with the message of the gospel, they were glad to follow God's call, and they sent their two best people that they had in their midst away because they got it. It was not either or, it was both and. And we as Christians have a real tendency, if we're not careful, it's like a chair with one leg shorter than the other, right? We have a real tendency 
to have a focus on one or the other to where we're all about growing, not much about living on mission or vice versa. And it misses the mark that God wants us to hit. It's both and. So I want to ask you a question. So when you evaluate, take a little inventory of your own, your own walk as a believer, would you say that you lean more towards personal growth or more towards living on mission? And where's there a gap for you? Is it in one? Is it in the other? Or is there a healthy balance between the two? I want to close with a couple of, couple of takeaways, just a couple of principles, and we're done. First principle is this, that living on mission is the natural result of our own personal spiritual growth. If we're growing as a believer, the natural byproduct of that is that we're going to want to live on mission, right? We're going to want to live life saying, God, what do you have for me? That's what I want to do. Whether that be living out our faith on campus, through our sports team, in the workplace, in the home, whether it be living it out in the natural place through a church ministry, right? That's one location. But the natural byproduct of growing deeper in maturity in our relationship with God is that we are going to engage our life on mission. We're going to live with this mission that pushes us along and this mission that draws us along that there's more to this than just for me, right? I want God to use me to impact others. And then there's a second principle that comes out of this. And the second principle is this, that both and, that whole concept of both and, as it relates to what we're talking about today, fills the gaps that are created by either or. See, if you leave here today, let's just say for our church, if our church is focused on, because the church is a reflection of its people, if our church is, is more known for we're all about personal growth and it's either or, so we really don't do much at all about living on mission, then there's going to be a gap created there that's going to leave people out. Uh, let's just say we're all about mission to the neglect of personal growth. You know, we're all about reaching out. We're always starting new, new outreaches and, and, and new missions, and we're sending teams everywhere and everywhere and everywhere, and that'd be, that's a great ideal to aim for, right? That's a good thing. But if we do that to the neglect of growing deeper in our relationship with God, there's going to be a gap created there. When we live both and, and, and we look to live on mission but also grow deeper in our walks with God, it fills those gaps. People are reached. We're grown deeper and God gets glory in all of it. So, so where are you today? You know, for us as a church, we try to facilitate both the best we can. We try to give opportunities for people to grow deeper. Um, we, we have small groups, grow groups is what we call them. We encourage people to be involved in D groups that are a little more intensive uh, as well. We have a thing called Right Now Media online that's on our website that's completely free that gives you access to 15,000 plus volumes of really, really strong, solid, good, effective online Bible study, right? Video-based. Some of the best speakers in the world, right, are, are, are there. I mean, we try to do these things to help facilitate growth in you. Hopefully the messages on Sunday, the worship that's here, the time that you get to spend together helps to facilitate deeper growth. But we also constantly encourage people to live on mission. You're an everyday missionary where you live where you work, where you play. You are not just a Christian that happens to live there, work there, play there. You are there on mission, and that's an important component of your walk, and you don't want to be out of balance. It's not either or. It's both and. We have ministries here in our church. On any given week or any given month, when the schedule goes out for preschool ministry, use that as an example, there are gaps there that are unfilled, right? 
children's ministry, student ministry, constantly, always room for more people who love kids that want to have a difference in their lives, and that's living on mission. There's space up here in our choir ministry. We've got mission trips. We, we didn't send a team to Cuba this year, right? I didn't have this in my notes. But we didn't send a mission team to Cuba this year. You know, why we didn't have enough? <laughs> as, as it sits right now, uh, we have no international focus as it relates to mission. Now, we do on giving money, but not on sending a team, and we won't ever if people don't say, you know what, I want to live on mission, and I want to go and do that. The church doesn't mysteriously manufacture that stuff. It's the people who have a heart to say, I want to be more than just about my own growth. I want to live on mission. I made two visits this past week to senior adult, uh, senior adult folks that are part of our ministry that are either in the hospital or in um, going through physical rehab. Both of them <laughs> telling stories of how they're living on mission where they are. So exciting. So it's like that's the way it goes. That's the way it works. We'll never be a church corporately that we're not already individually. So where's God challenging you today? To move from either or to both and. And what are you going to do in response? Let's pray. Lord, a message kind of aimed today at believers, at us as a church. But Lord, there's also that reminder that on any given moment on a Sunday, there are people that are here either in person or online that have never really made that decision to yield their life to Jesus to start with. Maybe there's some today, you're just really working in their heart, God, and they're at a place in this moment where they, they know they've never given their lives to Christ and they're tired of where they are in their life, they're ready for something different and they believe you, Jesus, they believe the gospel now and yet they've never made that decision to lay down their sin, to confess it to you, Lord, and to invite you, Jesus, to come and to forgive and to save them. And, and I pray that for any that that applies to right here, right now, that they'll make that decision right where they sit. Just have a simple conversation that says, Jesus, I believe that you're God, that you died, that you rose. And today I lay down my sin and I invite you to forgive and to save even me. And Lord, we thank you that you answered that prayer and that you save and you meet us right where we are. There are others in this room, Lord, and watching online that have, they've already made that decision. But Lord, th their life is not really in balance. There, there's, there's a lot of hunger for growth, which is just awesome. But there's really not a lot that's engaging anyone else, that's, that's serving anyone else, that's, that's trying to reach anyone else at all. And, then, and maybe there's some that are doing a lot of that, which again is equally just as awesome. But there's really, there's no root really. There's no... There's no fertile soil where they're growing deeper in their relationship and their maturity in their walk with you. God, help us to be both as individuals, as followers, and help us to be both as a church. Because, Lord, the, the picture of the New Testament is just overwhelming. That it was never an option, one or the other. It was always both and. Help us to be that, God, to your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.